So, first of all, I'd just like to say a very warm welcome. A lot of familiar faces here, and it's lovely to see you back again. Uh, a number of new faces, too, and I really hope that you felt welcomed and that you will hopefully quickly feel quite at home here. A few introductions before we begin. For those of you who haven't, I haven't met, my name's Christina Feldman. This is my, my very oldest friends and colleagues, Rodney Smith. And on this retreat, Luis will be helping us. He will be leading some mindful yoga sessions during the retreat and helping us just to hold this space. So we're <clears throat> not planning on keeping you overly long tonight because you may be a bit weary from traveling. We've just sat through four days of meetings, so also feeling some of the effects of that. But tonight, just really want to give you a, li a little bit of an introduction to the retreat. And I'd like just to start by acknowledging how, how very unique and how very rare this opportunity is for all of us. I don't know how it is in your life, but in my life outside a retreat, I don't have folks kind of making my meals for me, you know, doing my dishes, uh, you know, making sure that I have everything I need and ensuring that all I have to do is sit around. So it is pretty rare and I think really a blessing just to acknowledge how everything here in the center, all of the people who work here, behind the scenes, are really here providing the support, the support so that we can do just what we came here to do. To have a, a dedicated time where we're not so much concerned with everything that's going on around us, not so much concerned with busyness, with doing, with becoming, with producing, but where we can truly have this, this very dedicated time to really see what's going on in here and what's going on in our relationship to all things and to be able to listen inwardly and, and to have a sense of cultivating the heart and mind of, of clarity, of calm, of kindness, that is truly possible for all of us. So as we re re arrive here this evening, I, I think it's really helpful for us to remind ourselves, each one of us, of our intentionality and what drew us to come here and what this time for each of us is really dedicated to. And just, just to um, introduce the retreat a little bit, I'd, I'd just like to talk about a couple of different aspects of this path and this practice and 
really what it's all about. And one way I'd, I'd frame this is, is to really speak both about the art of this path, the spirit of this path, and to know how that interfaces with the form of this practice, or what we might call the, the craft of this practice. Because these two are so interwoven. You know, knowing the how to meditate really is not very complicated. You know, you could go and pick up a book in any bookstore. You know, not long ago, I was in my dentist's office, you know, and there was this magazine, you know, Three Instant Steps to Awareness. And I thought, well, that, that's cool, you know, if that was all that was involved. So the how to meditate is actually really not very complicated at all. What makes the how or the form of this practice meaningful and transformative is actually the art, the spirit, the attitude. And that's what we're most concerned with on a retreat. You know, we're not concerned with becoming perfect breathers. You know, we're not concerned with just learning how to eyeball something more closely. We're really concerned with this art of the heart, the art of understanding, the art of kindness, the art of compassion, the art of learning to be with what is, the, the art of learning to hold our world moment to moment with warmth, with friendliness, and with balance. This is really what the Buddha taught. You know, it, for any of you who are really very familiar with Buddhist uh, texts, uh, there might not be many of you, but some of you might be very familiar with Buddhist texts. If you ever read any of the original teachings, the texts of the Buddha, the first thing that you notice is that it's really short on technique. Really, really short. In fact, you could scour the whole of the Pali Canon and you know you would not come out at the end of it with one single formulation of a technique. But what you would read is so much about what is being cultivated. And so the Buddha did not just teach formal meditation. What the Buddha really taught was the cultivation of an awakened life and the cultivation of a noble life, as he would describe it, a life that's rooted in integrity, that's rooted in understanding and wisdom, a life that's rooted in kindness and compassion, and the embodiment of that life in speech, in action, in choices, in relationships. And I'm hoping that as we undertake this retreat, that you will bear in mind really clearly that that's what this retreat is really all about. Certainly, the Buddha did place a lot of emphasis, a lot of importance 
on each one of us learning how to be still, how to cultivate the craft of collect collectedness, of focus, of investigation, of intimacy with the body and with the mind. But the Buddha always talked about that formal practice as being in an ongoing conversation, an ongoing dialogue with with wise speech, with wise intention, with wise effort, with wise livelihood, with wise action. And, and that dialogue is really speaking about how we are in our lives, how we're living our lives, and the possibilities of how each one of us come, live, does live our lives. And in that, in that teaching of what it means to, to live an awakened life, I think what the Buddha emphasized more than anything else is investigation, inquiry. Really looking moment to moment in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, what is it that, that leads to distress, to, to suffering, to pain? really looking moment to moment in our lives, hearts and minds, what is it that, that leads to, to freedom, to compassion, to connectedness, to awareness? He said, because when you really see that in yourself, when you can really see that in your life, then your path becomes your own. And your path, in a very real way, becomes your life and your life becomes your path. You know, to me, it's so fascinating for me when, when I read the teachings that were, were given 2,600 years ago, and, and you think how very different that world was in, in India 2,600 years ago. You know, no email, you know, no electricity, you know, no cars, you know, you, you know none of this, stuff. You know, it looked like a very different world. But when you read the discourses, what is so clear is that people's minds 2,600 years ago, people's hearts 2,600 years ago, bear a pretty strong resemblance to ours. They look very much like ours. And, and when, when you look at the teaching, you know, all of the, you know, those two and a half centuries ago, people coming to the Buddha with the same questions, the same dilemmas that all of us are asked to investigate and explore and embrace in our lives. You know, what do we do with the realities of, of aging, of loss, of sickness, of death? What do we do with the realities of, of disappointment and frustration and, and expectation? What do we do with the realities of relationships that don't always go well? And the Buddha's answer to those questions, he, he never answered those questions by just saying, oh, go sit more. His, his answer was always, look more closely. See for yourself in this moment what it is that is really helpful to cultivate, what it is that is really helpful to understand and to release. Understand what it is to heal suffering 
and to cultivate freedom in this moment for yourself. And that is the center. That's the heart of our retreat. Just the other piece that I think it's, it's so important to mention really from the get-go here tonight is attitude. Now, I, I know some of you have been here many times, you know, this is like coming home for you and there can be a tremendous sense of, of gladness and, and appreciation and, you know, a great smile on walking through the door. And I know for many of you who are newer to retreats, this all looks pretty weird. And there can be some apprehension, you know, some anxiety about, you know, am I up to this? What is going to be asked of me? You know, how am I going to cope with the silence? How am I going to cope with not being in connection with all my family and relationships? Can I manage this food? <laughs> all of these questions that I think are really quite normal if you're new to a retreat to ask. I think it's good to acknowledge that that's quite a natural response. But what I would want to say is whether you've been here 50 times before or whether this is your first retreat, the attitude that we're all asked to cultivate is the same for all of us. Kindness. This practice makes no sense without kindness. You know, this practice makes no sense without compassion. This practice is all about befriending, welcoming, embracing, accommodating. For some of you, it may be some incredibly essential lessons that are learnt about what it means actually to be kind and to live with kindness. One of the great, um, I promised I wasn't going to talk too long. Am I talking too long yet? Not yet. Not yet, okay. <laughs> Getting close. <laughs> we promised we would be mindful here. Something I love that's really central to this teaching is this emphasis upon kindness. And when the, when the Buddha talked about this path, you know, he talked about its loveliness, the loveliness of awakening, the loveliness of being present, the loveliness of understanding, the loveliness of silence, the loveliness of discovering wakefulness, you know, and certainly when I first heard this in my early years of practice, I didn't have a clue what that meant. You know, because my experience didn't always feel that lovely. You know, aching knees, sore backs, you know, loneliness, not enough of this, restlessness, agitation, doubt. Loveliness seemed like really low down on the level of my experience. And it took me a long time to understand that the loveliness that the Buddha spoke about was not so much about the contents of what I was experiencing. It was about how I was holding those contents. It was about how I was holding the aching knee, how I was holding the, the expectations and the judgments and the disappointments, how I was holding some of the hard times, and that the loveliness really lay 
in that sense of spaciousness, of not taking it all too personally. It's a very good idea. Of spaciousness, of, of, of welcoming, of openness, that kind of loveliness of heart, which is not something which is a result only of the practice, which is an intention that we bring to practicing. It's enough for me. You're not on. Yeah, all right. So welcome. It's just a really nice time to retreat. And I really, I enjoy, um, always enjoy teaching with Christina. And I look forward to getting to know Luis uh, as well. And I look forward to getting to know those of you who I don't already know, but as I look out, there are quite a few I do, and I always appreciate uh, getting that relationship uh, deeper and, uh, and um, just, just having it strengthen. <clears throat> so my own uh, Dharma way is to take the rock and throw it as far as I can. And what that does is that it allows most of us to stretch, even if it's over our heads, still we stretch up and wonder perhaps as to where that rock may land or where it's going. I think it's important that when we come to a retreat, all of us stretch beyond the comfort level that we have known and realized. And one of the ways I like to frame the Dharma is on the continuum and the Buddha, uh, from where we start to where we finish. The Buddha's continuum was from suffering to the end of suffering. That's the continuum we walk from the beginning when we come in rather constricted and contracted within ourselves to the expansion that the practice eventually takes us to of the end of suffering. And another way to frame that same continuum and doesn't contradict from suffering to non, not suffering is a continuum from noise to stillness. And what I mean by that is that most of us come in very focused and uh, obeying and in servitude of our thinking. Our minds are full of thoughts and reflections and projections and ideas and it's all cluttered and quite noisy in there as most of you will soon discover if you don't know that already. And as the practice moves along that continuum, we gain more space and objectivity to that thinking and in fact begin to believe it less and less. And that inward movement, continuum, takes us to a degree of stillness within ourselves in which we are not 
and automatic obeyance of every thought that arises. Now that stillness is, uh, the reason I'm bringing that continuum to you right now is because what we try to do in throwing the stone quite far is to develop an environment in which we can look uh, and move towards that stillness. And the environment that we set is somewhat artificial because this isn't how most of us live. One of the ways that we invite that continuum, movement within that continuum, is to uh, have noble silence among us. That is that we don't use the normal ways we distract ourselves from our inward observation and intention to look and to see where it is that we're noisy, where that we're contracting, where that is that we're suffering. And we usually do that through a, a variety of stimuli, entertainment, other forms of distraction. So this, this environment is pretty much distraction bare. You can't find a lot. You won't find a TV. You won't find uh, other forms of indulgence. It's pretty bare. So we ask you not to bring your distractions into this environment that is meant to be distractionless. And so please, for the sake of not only your own yogi week, but also those others who are your sangha, the other people here who are engaged in the practice, put away your cell phones. Just put it away. Have a week in which you are unplugging yourself from the usual ways that we keep ourselves moving within the noise of our mind. It's very important. What has become a kind of paradox to some of us is that we say that and we think, and those that hear it, think that it only means this building and this lawn. And then along the back side of the loop, you have freedom to use your... No, we mean for this week, wherever you might be, please don't use your cell phones. Tweet, Twitters, or whatever you... I have never... I don't own a cell phone, and I've never done a... Uh, text. text message. <laughs> <laughs> so you might think, well, that guy's encrusted. He's like a... But I actually don't have any reason to. I find it very enjoyable not to be constantly interfacing with a lot of noise. So I invite you to experience a week of that same. Now, silence itself is a beautiful, beautiful environment to enter. I acknowledge that it's also scary for some of us. Those of us who have never spent a week in which we haven't spoken to other people, in which we have kept our attention inward and looking and focused and steady upon ourselves, may feel lonely, somewhat despairing or isolated within that silence. Please realize that that is the context out of what most of, or how many of, how much of our relationship is formed. From the sense of being isolated and lonely, we don't honor that loneliness. We don't acknowledge it fully. We react to it and engage from it. Rather than doing that, just notice this because much of the way we operate in this culture isn't going to be with a lot of eye contact. People just naturally 
are inwardly focused, and so there won't necessarily be um, a lot of eye contact between us, but that isn't forbidden. It's just that most people hold their gaze inwardly. Also, reading, I would ask us to put that aside for the week and engage this environment and the silence that's created fully, fully. And you will stretch because silence will stretch you. It is, as I mentioned, also it has a scary feature to it because in our noise, we know ourselves very well. In silence, there is an ambiguity of who and what we are. It's, we know ourselves when we're rubbing up against something, when we have an argument, a distraction, some kind of inward resistance or rub. When we don't, when we actually relax, there's a nice natural spaciousness that occurs that can create some sense of, wow, this is, I don't know who I am in all of this. That's a natural part of the unfolding and a natural part of the self-understanding that will evolve in the course of this week for many of us. Also, within the context of being together, I would invite us to be integritous together. We not only are here because we feel and we want to create a safe space for each one of you, but it's also to create a safe space for everyone who, who is next to you as well. And that requires all of us uh, inviting an ethical code of behavior uh, for this week. And that ethical behavior is summarized very nicely in the Buddha's five precepts. And those precepts very quickly are to refrain from uh, taking life or to harm needlessly. Right? So you just, instead of, and there will be massive mosquito attacks on, if you do the loop or flies or whatever is the seasonal bug of choice, see if you can brush them off rather than to stomp them out. Just acknowledging and honoring life wherever it is to be lived. So, that it, it breathes into us an honoring of life itself. And that acknowledges an interconnectedness to life that doesn't have me as the, in somewhat of an arrogant position that eliminates any distracting forms of life. I'll have to learn to get along with life rather than to exterminate it on my terms. The second precept is to refrain from taking things which aren't naturally yours or given or offered. Uh, and you'll see opportunities here to, uh, everything will be offered to you in a timely manner and there'll be also little jars and things which say for this or food for that person and just respecting the boundaries of people's, own pos of people's possessions and staying within what is acknowledged a community uh, offering. And the third is to refrain from saying, from sexual misconduct, and that uh, in the context of this retreat means that we will all be celibate together. It does not mean that outside of this retreat, it means that we honor sexuality as a very, very powerful energy and work cooperatively in a aligned kindness with one another when using it. But in the context of this retreat, we'll just be celibate together. That's a week of celibacy. The fourth precept is to refrain from saying uh, or communicating uh, 
disturbing or harsh speech to one another. And because we're going to be quiet together, we're going to be in silence, that will take care of itself. The part of that precept that is misunderstood is that that harsh speech also means how you speak to yourself. What tone do you speak to yourself? And you'll find that that tone is often harsh. And so start moderating with kindness, as Christina mentioned over, was, is to start moderating that inward speech so that it has a kind tone rather than a self-abrasing one. And finally, the fifth precept is to refrain from taking drugs or drink which confuse and cloud the mind. And again, we're not here to do that. However, if you're on a medication that you need for physical or mental difficulties, then continue to take your medication. It means not bringing um, drugs in that you don't need and are recreational in effect. So that's a context. That just helps establish a context for us getting along to one another, first thing, but also for a sense of safety. Why is safety so important? Safety allows you to relax. Why is relaxation so important? Because when you relax, you're less tense. You're less constricted. Why is that important? Because when you're less restricted, you're quieter in yourself. There isn't as much noise, and therefore you suffer less. Finally, I want to say just a word or two about yogi jobs, because I feel like this is, I'm a community dharma teacher. I teach retreats, but my main focus and energy goes towards community. And what we often miss understand within the context of a retreat is the opportunity to be in community on retreat. Each of us have a yogi job that is essential to make this whole retreat center work and this retreat work in particular. The price, if we had to pay people to come and do the jobs that you're going to be doing during this retreat, your price would triple in terms of cost for, for, for coming on this retreat. So your job is essential in not only keeping the the price low, but also in community working cooperatively with one another to make this retreat work. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that it's an enormous opportunity to bring the power of silence into movement, into activity that doesn't necessarily carry with us an intention to be mindful and to know what we're doing as we're doing it. And if we can apply that mindful application to an, a job and the goal of finishing the job because we want to get it done in a timely manner, you'll find that that encourages uh, when you're back into your normal activity of life, uh, wherever it is that you live, you'll have a grounding, a foundation on which to move that foundation of mindfulness into your jobs, into your work, into your everyday environment. But it needs an application, it needs a purposeful intention from you, and it needs a resolution of spirit that this is important as anything I do on the retreat. It's as important as any sitting and any walking that I do. And it's only from that intention that it will bud and flower within you as a full-grown practice. And again, I welcome you to the retreat. I look forward to getting to know each of you, if I possibly can, and that we get to know one another and uh, have a very fine 
uh, and growthful retreat for this week. Thank you. So we're, we're going to end the evening with just a short sit. Um, I don't know if Brian explained, but this, this area, it's been pretty hot here the last few days. Um, so you'll notice we have a, like a lot of air moving around in this room. And we have one person. Did Brian explain this? We got one person in charge of the air. Please don't mess with the fans. <laughs> it, we, we just want to keep the air moving. It's actually not, not too bad in here. <laughs> with 100 people in this room, the temperature notches up. Um, so we got a lot of air moving. One person's in charge of it. If it's too blowy where you're sitting, I'm going to ask you to find somewhere else to sit because the fans are going to stay pretty on unless we have some sudden cold front that moves in, which is actually really probably not going to happen. Um, so before we sit, if you want, if you need to, just take a moment to stand up and stretch your legs, and then we'll just have a short sit to end the evening. So what is, what is the first task, the first invitation of everyone who comes into practice? Well, it's really simple. It's just to begin to calm down. And how do we begin to calm down? We begin by collecting our attentiveness from all the places where it can be so scattered and lost, from our tasks, our jobs, our commitments, the past, the future, all of the thoughts that might be filling your mind right now. Our first invitation is just to begin to collect, to retrieve our capacity to be here, to be present, to simplify. Now, in, that, in the service of that collecting and gathering and calming, it's helpful that we bring into the forefront of our attention an anchor, a foundation for our mindfulness, a foundation that we return to again and again and again, every time, once more, that habit of being lost and distracted and fragmented arises. And it will arise. Please don't think that's unusual. This practice is not to get rid of thought, but to simplify and clarify our capacity to be present and attentive. So we bring into the forefront of our attention an anchor, a foundation. We let the thoughts, the sounds, just sit there in the background. We don't have to do anything with them. 
We don't have to get rid of them. We don't have to make them into something other. We're just bringing into the foreground this intention to collect and gather. Now, one of the simplest, most accessible foundations to establish your attention is in is mindfulness of breathing. Many people find this the most, the, the kind of primary first step in the practice. It's just to connect with, the, with what the body already knows how to do. So we're not manufacturing something, we're not creating something, we're just connecting with something that is already here, our breathing, our in-breath, our out-breath, the body breathing. Now, I wouldn't, I, uh, temperamentally people are different. And I would suggest for many, many people, mindfulness of breathing is very accessible, very useful. For some people, they actually find the awareness of the whole body sitting, the posture, the body breathing, that kind of slightly wider focus to be actually more accessible for them. Option number three. And I'm going to give you these options because I'm not going to tell you what is the best way for you to practice. I'm going to ask you to find out. The third option is just mindfulness of listening. Again, temperamentally, for some people, that is a wiser option. Now, tonight, I think, to begin with, let's all just collect and gather around the body breathing. But I just want to bring these options, put them on the table for you to know that they are there because the, the focus is in the service of collectedness, of attentiveness, of, in a way, single-pointedness. But that is a vehicle in itself. So let's just sit for a few minutes, settling yourself into your body, feeling your body touching the ground, feeling your body touching the cushion, the bench, the chair. Having a felt sense of your body sitting. Being as upright as you're able to be in your back, your neck. Yet also encouraging a real softening of your body a relaxing of your shoulders, your belly, your face. A settling into your body, a settling into this moment. Being aware of the touch of the air on your skin, touch of your clothing on your skin. Letting your mind relax. The busyness, the preoccupations, 
concerns. Just let in all of that contractedness also soften, relax. And just turning your attention inwardly, listening inwardly. to the life of your body and to the life of your breathing. Aware of the sensation of your incoming breath and the sensation of your outgoing breath. Aware of how your chest or your belly might rise, might expand with your in-breath. And relax with your outgoing breath. Just cultivating a present moment attentiveness, a mindfulness of breathing moment to moment. Breathing in, calming the mind, calming the body. Breathing out, calming the mind, calming the body.
really encourage you as you really arrive here this evening, please, you know, you can let go of hurry. You can let go of rush. You know, as you leave, as you go to your room, allow yourself just to really feel embodied, to feel yourself in your body, to be where you are. Um, Please take care this evening of any unfinished business so you can really begin tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow morning there isn't a sitting before breakfast time, which means once you hear the wake-up bell, um, there'll be time to get up, to go to breakfast, and to go into your work period before the sitting at 8.15. And at 8.15 every morning in that sitting, we will be giving considerably more instructions about the practice. But being aware, you've got this block of time before that first sitting, but, but to really approach it with, with care and with, with mindfulness. And I hope that you rest well and see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.